Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for January 29th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news, including Cloverfield 4, King Killer Chronicle, Tom Hanks starring in a Mr. Rogers movie, uh, Deep Blue Sea 2, and whether Disney should be worried about the future of Star Wars. This is Peter Sorata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, before we get into the news, guys, it's been a while since we've done a water cooler um, because with Sundance and everything. Uh, so I thought uh, let's you know let's catch up and uh, gather here uh, around the virtual water cooler and talk about uh, what we've been watching and what we've been doing. Um, I have uh, been injured, my, as you know, my wrist was fractured and uh i'm in a uh, cast for the next month at least which really sucks um and uh you know i've been watching a lot of tv i've now <laughs> with my girlfriend now i've watched eight seasons of survivor wow yeah I, I i don't know it's a problem and i know it's not uh you know great television but it's very entertaining um we did over the weekend watch um the 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 Netflix movie Futile and Stupid Gesture, 
which is about the uh, about National Lampoon. I think Brad talked about it previously on the podcast. Um, it, it, it's kind of a good typical biopic. Um, it does some interesting things with um, the narrative structure of it, some funny things, but uh, it, it's enjoyable. It's nothing uh, great. Have either of you seen this film? Not yet. Uh, I did. I, I watched it over the weekend, too. Yeah, no, I, I I thought it was clever what they did with the 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 kind of uh you know the the narrator from the narrator's standpoint. And that, that's all I will say uh, to without going into spoilers. Um, and uh, I I do also want to mention that I um you know haven't been leaving the house much. I I um ordered some food the other day and the uh, the Postmate driver that came and delivered the food to uh my 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 condo actually when i opened the door he was like a big fan i listen to the podcast every day uh so i I just thought that was funny and i wanted to um you know give a shout out to kevin uh uh, who uh listens every day um just uh cool to not only run into listeners on the street but (laughs) run into them at the door to my house (laughs) um but uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Uh, I recently, uh, over the weekend, my wife and I basically uh, binged through the new season of American Crime Story, which is it's it's called American Crime Story: The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Uh, I got access to the the FX Press site, which has all but the last two episodes on it. So we basically just watched all of them. And uh, it's good. I, I liked the first season, the the O.J. Simpson season, a bit more. And this season is a lot different in just, you know, this, the way it, it tells its story. Uh, for one thing, it, for some reason, which I don't really like this, but it, it moves backwards. Uh, so it's, it's almost like uh, Memento or the movie Irreversible, where every episode is set right before the previous episode, which... I don't really know why they decided to do it like this. It's just a narrative choice they made, which I'm not 100% on board with. But other than that, it's it's very good. Uh, the acting is very good, and uh, I, I, I'm enjoying it. I have uh, seen the first episode of it, and I thought it was compelling. But the I don't know the casting just isn't as strong as that first season. That first season was just like like incredible like everybody was remarkable but the story here is compelling and uh i i I am also on uh the fence on uh what you're saying the uh memento style formatting of the show uh ben you haven't watched the show yet no and i i have to admit i gave up halfway through or maybe like four episodes into the people versus oj simpson i i just i couldn't as much as the cast i know as much as i enjoyed the cast i just could not get on board with the the stylistic flourishes in the show i there's something about the direction and just the way that they decided to put the that story together especially in the wake of the actual um oj doc that ended up winning the oscar for best documentary that year um it, it just seemed so uh <laughs> i don't know like well, unnecessary well, correct me if i'm wrong didn't the uh, american crime story come out before the oj doc Oh, did it? Maybe, I maybe it did. So. Maybe I'm just conflating the two in my mind because for me, it was like it was so clear which one was the superior uh, OJ story, and that was like the actual real one that Ezra Edel- Edelman directed. But um, I know I'm in the 
extreme extreme mi- minority on that. I know everyone loved that uh, that season of television. Um, and I'm just I guess I'm just not really a, a Ryan Murphy fan. I can't uh, I can't list a, a show that he's in, been involved with that I've been like, yeah, I'm for sure a fan of that. It's just most of the time he sort of strikes me as like an obnoxious filmmaker or a showrunner. So um, I don't know. It could just be a, a personal <laughs> a grievance that I have and a, a speed bump that I can't get over. But uh, but yeah, that's just me. See, I'm with you on that. I'm, I usually hate his kind of stylish uh, stylistic uh, flourishes. And I, I have not been a fan of, you know, American uh, Horror Story or any of those shows that he's done. But the OJ season was so, I don't know, it gets so good. I wish I could convince you to give it another <laughs> chance. But um, but I, I could see that someone, so you watched the documentary first, I assume? I think, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I must have watched the OJ show as it was going on because everyone was talking about it. And I think my wife and I were just watching it. We just gave up after like four or five episodes or something. We are just like, I just can't do this anymore. Okay, I can't, I can't convince you then. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Ben, what, what have you been up to? So uh, I've been at Sundance for the past week, and I'm, I'm still sort of in the decompression phase from watching all these movies. So one of the things that I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to is I've been listening to a podcast called The Daily, and it's from uh, The New York Times. I don't know if you guys listen to this or not, but um, it's a daily podcast that basically just does like a – I think they do basically like 30-minute episodes. Podcast. What is that? I know. <laughs> I know, I know. For anyone who is looking for uh, another, you know, a lot of podcasts come out like once a week. Anybody else who out there who's looking for another daily hit, uh, you should check out this show. It's called The Daily, and it's hosted by Michael Barbaro, who is uh, a New York Times um, persona. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if he's if he's a writer there, or if he just does um, the podcast or not. But basically, he sits down and has interviews with that are sort of spliced in with um, different writers. It's basically, it's basically the New York times version of this show. Essentially it's, it's like, you know, a writer will come on and talk about the, the big news item of the day. It's what, whether it's like the, uh, the meetings that are taking place between North Korea and South Korea over, uh, what's going on with the Olympics and stuff there or whatever the hell Trump has done that day. Uh, and the Trump stuff, I, you know, I see enough headlines to sort of get the gist of a lot of that. And I don't, I don't really, um, put political news into my life, uh, unless I'm looking to get depressed really quickly. But, um, but I feel like the daily is a good way to get what you need in a 30 minute burst, just to sort of stay on top of things without being, um, you know, too much of a deep dive and and to get a little bit of a broader sense of what's going on in the world as well. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that. So is it only one story a day or um, they do essentially one story takes up probably, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And then the, the remaining time is sort of like bouncing around the world, just covering things in like bullet point format. So, um, yeah, they, I think they did an episode on uh, Tanya Harding recently, and that was, you know, featured like a bunch of actual clips of the reporter speaking with her. So that was, yeah, 15, 20 minutes or something. And then the rest of it is just, uh, yeah, what's going on in the world. Very cool. OK, let's uh, now jump into the news. Uh, first up, Cloverfield 4 is already done filming, even though we have not seen a bit from Cloverfield 3. Ben, what do we know? 
Yes, and this is something that we've uh, suspected for over a year, or almost a year, I guess, at this point. So last March, we wrote about this uh, bad robot movie called Overlord, which is, I'll read you the synopsis really quickly. It's, uh, on the eve of D-Day, American paratroopers are dropped behind enemy lines to carry out a mission crucial to the invasion's success. But as they approach their target, they begin to realize that there is more going on in this Nazi-occupied village than a simple military operation. They find themselves fighting against supernatural forces, part of a Nazi experiment. So um, it's a World War II story called Overlord. It stars Wyatt Russell from 22 Jump Street and an actor named Jovan Adepo, who played Denzel Washington's son in Fences a couple years ago. Uh, it's directed by Julius Avery, who directed Son of a Gun not too long ago. And this was just, uh, you know, one of those movies sort of similar to God Particle, where it was like, oh, it's just a J.J. Abrams produced film doesn't really have anything to do with anything else but surprise all of a sudden hey this actually is cloverfield 4 we've heard from our sources that uh, a confirmation that this movie overlord is going to be the fourth film in the cloverfield franchise we speculated about this uh, a little while ago um because of the world war ii setting and the idea of these uh, american soldiers flying in and and dealing with the nazis and um, the Axis powers. My theory is that maybe we'll find out the history of uh, Tagruato, which is the company that appears in the first Cloverfield movie, and it is referenced obliquely in 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's actually still being used in viral marketing materials for the third Cloverfield movie as recently as this morning. And um, this is the company that is like the parent company of Slusho, who some of you might remember as, you know, from the viral marketing of the first movie. And then uh, there's this company also called this fictional company called Bold Futura, which is like a satellite company that John Goodman's character worked on or worked for in 10 Cloverfield Lane. So I'm wondering if uh, this World War II setting is going to see the if Tagaru Ato is going to be involved in this, uh, these Nazi supernatural schemes in some fashion. But um, Overlord is supposed to come out uh, in October of this year. And as Peter mentioned, we have no idea what really is happening with God Particle or what may actually be called Cloverfield Station now. That movie has been delayed a bunch of times. And the latest rumor is that Paramount may end up passing it on to Netflix. So while we're waiting to see what happens with that, it was supposed to come out in April of this year. We know that uh, Overlord has already finished filming and is definitely going to be Cloverfield 4. So that's where we are. Yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, I, I love the idea of a J.J. Abrams, you know, Twilight Zone-esque uh, anthology movie series. Uh, but, you know, so far, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane was just very tangentially related to the first Cloverfield. But uh, John Goodman's character was kind of like the satellite um, technician or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we do know uh, that in God Particle or whatever that's going to be called. What is that going to be called? I think the the theory is that it could be called um, Cloverfield Station. Yes, Cloverfield Station. Um, like I, in that movie, from what we know, the astronauts, or at least what we know of the original spec script that you know is going to get turned into whatever it becomes, uh, the astronauts lose uh, contact with Earth and they think Earth has disappeared, or mm -hmm. you know there was a war or something happened. Um, so you know that has to do with satellites. So I'm, I'm wondering. Um, I'm wondering is if we go further along into these Cloverfield movies, if we're going to start to see more connections adherent in the actual films and not just like, you know, this viral campaign that kind of connects them. Mm -hmm. 
that could be interesting. Uh, I, I love the suggestion of some readers on uh, Twitter that the movie should be called Clover Lord. <laughs> yes. But uh, Chris, any thoughts on Cloverfield 4? <laughs> I mean, it just seems so weird to be thinking about that because, like you said, we haven't seen anything for Cloverfield 3. I mean, you know, I'll see it. I, I liked, I love the first Cloverfield. I really liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, even though everything around uh, Cloverfield 3 seems negative, I'm still hoping it'll turn out well. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where, if anywhere, this series is going. Yeah. And, and it's so weird that this name of Cloverfield, because it really means nothing, right? It was a street that Bad Robot was located on, uh, you know, their first headquarters. And it has nothing to do with that original film. So it's, it's so weird that we're getting this... You know, Cloverfield franchise. Who would have thought we would have been, you know, talking about Cloverfield 4 in uh, <laughs> 2018? But uh, but we are. And um, speaking of sequels we didn't expect, Deep Blue Sea 2 is coming to home video. And Chris, you wrote up the tra- new trailer for the site. What do we know about this sequel? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Deep Blue Sea, as I'm sure everyone remembers, was a film from 1999 where... Uh, it's set in a, a research facility where scientists have been experimenting on sharks to try and find a cure for Alzheimer's and that backfires terribly and the sharks get loose and they wreak havoc. And it was a fun movie. Uh, part of the fun was that it killed people off. You weren't expecting to be killed off. Um, you know, spoilers for a, a 19 year old movie, but uh, Samuel L. Jackson was all over the trailers for that, but his character gets killed in the first half hour of the movie, which in, in glorious huge... fashion too. That shot yeah. is just amazing. I remember, I distinctly remember seeing this in a the theater and just the audience just losing their minds when that scene <laughs> happened. So, uh, you know, that came out, as I said, 1999. And now for some reason in 2018, we have a direct to VOD sequel, which has pretty much the same plot where it's a uh, you know research facility, they're experimenting on sharks, and these sharks get loose and they kill everyone. And uh, you know, the trailer was released over the weekend. It looks like your standard generic uh, directive VOD movie. One part of the trailer I really did like is there appears to be a scene. Wait, wait, wait. A- so what is the pitch for the the sequel? What is the the thing that makes this, you know, happen? Uh, well, the synopsis says a shark conservatist uh, is invited to consult on a new top secret project run by a pharmaceutical billionaire when silence meddles with the time tested process of nature and nurture. The outcome can be deadly. Uh, that <laughs> that's that's very vague. But again, it just seems like the same sort of setup where. They're they're using sharks to test uh, pharmaceuticals <laughs> for some reason, and the sharks don't <laughs> like that. Um, there there but, was at uh, least two times during the trailer which I laughed out loud, which unintentionally, you know, I don't think they wanted me to laugh out loud, but I laughed out loud, and I I, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, like I, I was gonna say, um, there's a part in the trailer where it looks like uh, a guy pushes a remote on a, a remote control button, and the sharks come calling so i guess there are remote control sharks in the movie so <laughs> that that alone has me very interested in seeing this because uh, i i i want to see a movie that has that feature in it 
Yeah, at first when I saw this, I was like, why would they build another research facility when in the first movie everything went so terribly? And then I just remembered that that's a thing that happens in the movies all the time, (laughs) like Jurassic World. Like, why would they rebuild another theme park after the events of Jurassic Park? But uh, but yeah, I guess this this movie is, um, you know, the latest in a long line of uh, of films steeped in in that tradition. Yeah, I I did get a Jurassic World vibe from the sequel trailer. Uh, I kind of wish, um, as a fan of the original Deep Blue Sea, I kind of wish they went all out ridiculous. You know, they went kind of like, um, uh, you know, they built a research station in space with sharks. You know, I need space sharks (laughs) or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, this doesn't seem as ridiculous as it should be, but it seems like we are riding on a wave, pun intended, of shark films with uh, 47 meters down and this and that sequel um, is and um, what was the, the other shallows. the shallows shallows uh, do, you, do you think this is a new trend I think it's a trend that has really never died out I mean you know obviously Jaws is the you know the granddaddy of them all but ever since Jaws came out there's always been this sort of subgenre of of shark exploitation films and. Uh, for a while, they were delegated or relegated to VOD, but recently, you know, with uh, the shallows and 47 meters down, they are starting to sort of come back into theaters. But again, this is VOD, and then, you know, there's the endless Sharknado sequels, which are, you know, VOD as well. So it just seems like it's it's a, a genre that will never really go away. It'll always be there. Yeah. And uh, th- for our next news item, uh, we want to talk about uh, Robert Kirkman is adapting the comic book Birthright into a movie. Um, I uh, Basically, uh, Universal is going to be – or they're developing this movie. Uh, they uh, the Bleeding Cool has learned. The comic was released in 2014. I have read the first volume. I haven't uh, read any additional issues, but I really enjoyed it. And it's kind of um, – you know, I, I, I kind of told uh, Ben, who wrote the story up for the site, uh, that it's kind of like a fantasy version of Flight of the Navigator. So instead of a you know sci-fi version of it, it's kind of fantasy, uh, which I'm not typically a fantasy guy. Uh, but this is um, the, you know, this might be spoilers for the comic because I think this is kind of the setup of the first issue of the comic. But this will definitely be, if this ever gets made into the movie, this is the trailer. This is, you know, the pitch for the movie. So, uh Feel free to skip ahead a minute if you don't want to know what this comic is about. Uh, but I'm not spoiling anything, per se. Uh, basically, one day while playing uh, ball with his dad, a young boy named Mikey disappears into the woods. Uh, nothing can be found of him. His dad was uh, suspected of killing uh, his son and went into deep depression. The mother, Wendy, uh, began to believe it and divorced him. Uh, and the remaining son, Brennan, uh, was just caught in the middle. And years later, uh, no, I, actually, I think a year later, uh, the family is called in to speak with the FBI. And the lead agent on the case has found a new lead, a suspect who looks like he stepped out of a fantasy novel. Basically, he looks like, you know, a warrior from, like, Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. And uh, they suspect that he has... Um, he has something to do with uh, what happened to Mikey, 
but it, it might be that he is Mikey himself and had gone into another dimension of kind of like fantasy dimension. There's, you know, that that's kind of the setup. I'm not going to spoil where it goes from there, uh, but it's it's very compelling. I'm, it's very, uh, you know, if I feel like if you're going to do a Dungeons and Dragons movie, this is the kind of way to go. And doing it with uh, Robert Kirkman, who his Skybound Entertainment releases the comic book, so he's kind of been kind of executive producing it along the way as well but um neither of you have seen uh have read the comic uh the uh, oh i should say um some of the writers behind the despicable me trilogy in secret life of pets uh cinco paul and ken dorio i think um are are the ones hired to, to write this uh big screen adaptation um but uh, which seems weird because it, it seems like um you know, why would you hire, you know, people that are, you know, with the, these, uh, these, Family uh, friendly yeah, animated yeah. projects, because it's kind of like an epic adventure, like fish out of water, uh, fantasy movie. Um, so you guys have not, um, read this comic, but you have heard my pitch. Uh, does this sound like a movie you'd want to see? What do you think, Chris? I really don't know. Yeah, like, like you said, I haven't read this, so I'm not. I mean, it sounds interesting enough. I'm sure you know. I need to see more of it. Like, if I need to check out the comic, I need to, or I need to see some some footage from the eventual trailer before I before I get on board, or to basically to see who else is involved with it. Really, because right now it's very early stages. Yeah, and there's no director listed. I think um, it, it sounds like it has a lot of potential to me. And I think uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen are directing um, a movie version of another Skybound comic called Invincible. And along with that, I think Birthright could be really like the, you know, those two projects could really sort of announce Skybound in a big way if they're handled correctly. Um, I mean, obviously, Rogan and Goldberg are pretty big name filmmakers. So if they get somebody, you know, equally big uh, behind the camera on this one, I have no reason to believe that it's not going to be a big deal. Um, it's just a matter of, I guess, balancing the tone because it sounds like there could be, you know, it sounds like there's a lot going on here. There's like a, a time travel element, it seems like, and some fantasy stuff and then modern day, you know, like regular world stuff. So uh, while it has a lot of potential, it also has a lot of potential to backfire, I think. Yeah, it also, you know, it kind of has a fish out of water kind of, um, uh, it, uh, oh my God, what's that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, oh, Last Action Hero kind of stuff oh, to yeah. it as well. Um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. Skybound Entertainment is, is trying to go big. You know, they're trying to make TV shows, they're trying to make movies, they're trying to make web series. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to connect uh, with the mainstream public. But let's move on from that to uh, talk about going big. Let's talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi, which uh, hasn't, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it a failure. It's not a failure. It's done, you know, tremendous business. But is it uh, less than what Disney expected? Is Disney, does Disney, should Disney be worried about the future of the Star Wars franchise? Ben, tell us about it. So the Wall Street Journal reports that Star Wars The Last Jedi fell nearly $200 million short of some box office analysts' predictions of what the movie would make uh, domestically. And, um, you know, it was actually pulled from theaters in China because it didn't really perform very well there. So I guess there's like some something in the air about whether or not uh, The Last Jedi is... Um, 
you know, because it's it's not performing as well as The Force Awakens, like, does Disney have any right to be worried about this? Is this something that is uh, an expected trend, or is this uh, something more that they should really be uh, concerning themselves with? Um, so, you know, before we go any further, I, I do think it's important to note that The Last Jedi has earned $1.3 billion worldwide and is the highest grossing movie of 2017. So in terms of uh, what we're basically talking about, and I mentioned this in an article that I wrote, is that we're talking about like a super rich person not quite having enough <laughs> cash to buy another summer home in the country. But it's really tough to feel bad for them because they already have, you know, 10 houses in glorious locations all over the world. So, oh, yeah, you know, this this isn't a failure in anybody's sense of the imagination. You know, this movie right. was probably made 200, 300 million dollars and, you know, making one point three billion. Uh, billion dollars you know yeah. and then there's the merchandising and everything else like you know it's not a failure in any sense but force awakens made two billion dollars you know 1.3 is kind of far below that yeah and and i think you know some people have pointed out that um empire strikes back made less money than the original star wars did back in the day um, I think also Attack of the Clones made less than Phantom Menace. So this is, you know, it's a trend in the Star Wars uh, universe so far. Um, you know, the reason that I think it didn't do very well in China was because historically the Chinese people have not had, you know, a deep relationship with Star Wars in the same way that Americans have. Um, the movies didn't even really make their way over to China and, and never became a huge cultural thing until just a couple years ago. Um so it's not like they've, you know, they have these 40 years of like, you know, the the iconography of, of Star Wars being built into their, you know, every fiber of their pop culture like it is with ours. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that it didn't oh, do very well and in have China. You, have you heard in China they already changed the name of Solo a Star Wars story? Really? What this is, is it now? It's actually true. It's now called Ranger Solo. And they have removed a Star Wars story from the title because of this. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, you know. That, I, that's I, not I, a joke because I, I feel like that sounded like it was a joke. No, that's that's actually <laughs> real. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in addition to that, the Wall Street Journal also talks about how toy sales were, were down a little bit. And again, you know, they fell from number one worldwide to number two. So it's not it's not a huge precipitous fall. Um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 is supposed to sell a couple million fewer copies than its predecessor did. So I think this article is essentially just pointing out that uh, things, financially speaking, are on a bit of a downturn for Disney and Star Wars at the moment. So does Disney have any right to actually be worried about this? Well, I mean, I think if you're looking at it from a purely financial perspective, yeah, probably. You, you, you know, that's not exactly the direction that you want things to be trending if all you care about is um, money and, and box office returns and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think Star Wars is going to suddenly not be a viable property for Disney. I think the prequels showed that... Um, fans will weather just about any storm that they can, you know, that will be thrown at them. And I think there's a lot of love for this franchise still, even if there is a vocal minority who, you know, spends all day making over a hundred YouTube videos uh, <laughs> explaining why they don't like The Last Jedi. And, and I mean, we've talked about that to death, yeah. whether, you know, and the it, idea of people having legitimate issues with the movie and all that stuff, and that's totally fine. But I, I just, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, 
I think Disney is probably a little concerned that things are not going their way at the moment, but they're still very high up on top of the mountain. And I don't think Star Wars is going to be, you know, suddenly oh, yeah. become a big problem for them anytime soon. For sure. And, you know, we're, we are all fans of The Last Jedi. But it, I think if you had told me before The Last Jedi came out that The Last Jedi was only going to do $200 million above Rogue One, I would have been like, you're smoking crack because that's, you know, I, it's not going to do Force Awakens numbers, but it's it's going to do way better than Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I do think some of that negative buzz, uh, be it, you know, <laughs> a few guys on YouTube. Spread it. I think it's more than that, but I, I think there's a lot of fans that felt burned by this movie and maybe didn't uh, didn't have the repeat business. Yeah. That, oh, uh, yeah. That, that, that the film normally has. But um, it'll be interesting to see if. Uh, with J.J. Abrams coming back for episode nine, if that if things will change or if it will continue to decline. Um, but mm-hmm. even if it continues to decline a little bit more, like if it goes down to one billion, it's still one billion dollars. Right. <laughs> like that's, you know, in the top, what, like four, three movies of the year. So, yeah. um, Chris, any thoughts on this? I, I I have to wonder if there's also like an oversaturation thing going on here because – for we went we went from like no Star Wars movies to a Star Wars movie pretty much every year at this point because when there's not the ongoing trilogy there's the Star Wars stories films and I do have to wonder if maybe people are getting burned out already by you know there's like every year there's a Star Wars film and so I do wonder if that plays a part too I think that's a good point um you know what's strange is um I feel like when I left Force Awakens, I wanted to see that movie a million times in the theater. And Last Jedi, after seeing it a second time, I was kind of content on that being it. I have seen it more since then, but uh, because I'm a junkie, I'm a Star Wars junkie, and I admit it. But um, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's the the questions that J.J. presented made people want to go in and see if they could, you know, uncover, like, things in the corner. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I feel like... I feel like there definitely wasn't the repeat business, at least from my friends. And, you know, I'm, I'm this is anecdotal uh, evidence here. but Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think that's a good point. There, you know, there are a lot of questions posed in The Force Awakens, and people probably went back not only because they liked the introduction of those new characters, but also to sort of really prepare for the next few years of building theories and, and you know, coming up with all that stuff. And I think The Last Jedi... Uh, to its credit or detriment, answers a lot of the questions that that popped up in or or, um, or says the Force F you for spending your time for the last two years theorizing. I mean, yeah, to that to some degree, yes, as well that too. But um, so, so I think there's you know there's not for the for the Reddit sleuths out there, the people who love building those theories and and really you know diving into the nitty gritty and trying to uh, connect all those dots. I, I think. The Last Jedi does not really reward that kind of viewing experience. So I think that's probably a big reason why, you know, people didn't go back as much because there's not as much there to uh, there's not a, there's not as many um, crumbs dangling in front of them or, or carrots dangling in front of them, I guess. For sure. OK, let's move on to our next story, which is Sam Remy will direct uh, the King Killer Chronicle adaption. Chris, what do we know? Yes, let me say up front, I've never read this series, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but Sam Raimi, 
who actually hasn't directed a film since uh, the, what was it called? The Oz movie in uh, 2013, Oz the Great and the Powerful, is in talks to direct the King Killer Chronicle adaptation, which is a, uh, a series of fantasy novels by Patrick Rothfuss. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, uh, this would team Sam Raimi up with Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame, who's serving as a uh, creative producer and also writing original music and songs for the film, or I guess films in this case, because this is part of a multi-tier deal, which is turning the books not just into movies, but also uh, TV series. There's already a prequel TV series in the works at Showtime, and they also want to make video games as well. So, um, in, 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 in the Slack channel, you were pointing out that a lot of people reporting on this is calling it the King Killer Chronicles, but it's actually called King, King, King Killer Chronicle. So, yes, it's, um, it, as, yeah, as far as I can tell, everything I looked up said it's singular, so yeah. Um, I mean, I'm excited about this. Uh, ben, I know you're a Hamilton fan. I'm sure you're excited about this. Uh, I'm not sure there's uh, much to say about this other than we are excited about this. <laughs> I mean, I think Jacob uh, Jacob Hall, the managing editor of Slash Film, pointed out, I think it was Jacob, in our Slack channel earlier today that it would be kind of hilarious if uh, King Killer Chronicle came along and basically just ate the Dark Tower's lunch by, you know, dropping, pulling off what the Dark Tower could not uh, succeed at doing, which is, you know, create this intertwined, massive tapestry of storytelling across film and television at the same time. That was the big plan for the Dark Tower for years and years. But we all know how that turned out after the movie last year. So um, that would be really fascinating to see if, if uh, you know, a, a perhaps less known book is able to come across or come around and, and pull that off in a big way. Yes. Uh, and uh, in our Sundance coverage last week, we were talking about this documentary about Mr. Rogers now has been announced that they are making a Mr. Rogers movie called you are my friend starring Tom Hanks. Ben, what do we know? Yeah. So um, variety reports that uh, Mariel Heller, who is the director of another Sundance movie from a few years ago called Diary of a Teenage Girl, is going to direct a movie called You Are My Friend, which stars Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. Uh, this is not a full blown biopic, but it's more of a um, it's actually the movie is based on an Esquire article that journalist Tom Junod wrote years ago and it follows the real life friendship that forms between this sort of cynical reporter who is not thrilled with being given the assignment to write a profile on mr rogers and then mr rogers himself who sort of inspires the reporter and and you know um gives him a new perspective on life kind of thing uh it sounds a little cheesy but also kind of great and maybe exactly what we need right now as a as a culture and a society and the idea of tom hanks playing mr rogers is really fascinating um what do you guys think about this um i i think it's a uh, perfect casting you know I, if i was going to cast mr rogers it, it is tom hanks um it, it there's no other person uh chris any thoughts yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see how he plays the role. I, I also think it's interesting that Tom Hanks is now the guy who's have going to have played both Walt Disney and Mr. Rogers. I mean, they're two very different people, but they're two like giants in children's entertainment and Tom Hanks is the guy who's who's played both of them. 
Yeah, no, I mean that's a good point. Um, and you know, with Disney's uh, stranglehold on, hold on Walt Disney, I'm sure we won't see anybody else playing the character as well. Um, no, I mean I'm, I'm interested to see this. I think uh, you know the story of Mister Rogers is is interesting. You know, I want to see that documentary that uh, got acquired at Sundance. I'm excited to see that um, when that comes out. But uh, I, I think this brings us to the end of today's news. Uh, we've already gone over our time. So, uh, Chris, where can we find more of your work online? I'm at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the stories we've talked about today on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps published every weekday. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments to peter at slashfilm.com. And uh, if we mention them on the air, please leave your name and general geographic location uh, so that we can credit you properly. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>